Welcome to the Dag Heward Mills podcast. Dag Heward Mills is a healing evangelist, a best-selling author, and a mega church pastor. He's the founder of the United Denominations, originating from the Lighthouse Group of Churches, overseeing over 3,000 churches across every continent of the world. He pastors the First Love Church, a vibrant church in the city of Accra, transforming the lives of thousands of young people for the Lord. Now listen to Dag Heward Mills. Let us pray. Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for your great blessing that you have given us today. We ask you to lead us in this time. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for great blessings for all of us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I'm excited to be here. And I'm glad I'm glad to see all of you. Amen. I think I, I didn't come to America last year, right? I'm surprised. The time really flies. What a shock. So it's a blessing to be here. And um, I think the theme of our meeting is quite clear. It's a Healing Jesus Partners Conference. And our theme is 100 million souls. All right? So I think it cannot be more simple and clear. Amen. So turn with me to Isaiah chapter 1. And uh, we are going to start Right from the Bible. The Bible is the basis for all that we do. And uh, we read from verse number 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Hallelujah. I have nourished and brought up children. And they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner. And the ass his master's crib. But Israel does not know. And my people do not consider. Hallelujah. Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord and they have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. Amen. Amen. Now, verse 9. Except 
the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. Alright? We should have been as Sodom. And we should have been like Gomorrah. Alright? Hear the word of the Lord. Verse 10. You rulers of Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifice? Amen. Unto me. Can, can somebody turn off this? Some fan blowing straight into my face. If somebody can turn it off. I don't know. Or is it? You can't do anything about it. If you can, please. I'm full of burnt offerings and rams and the fat of fed beasts. I do not, I do not delight in the blood of bullocks. When you come to appear before me, who has required this at your hand? Bring no more vain or useless oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. It is iniquity. Your new moons and appointed times, they are trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. Verse 15. I'm sure you are wondering why I'm reading this. I'm just reading the Bible. <laughs> is it in the Bible? Am I reading to the Bible? <laughs> when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Our hands are truly full of blood. The blood of souls that we refuse to be involved to win. You see, we don't think most of the things in the Bible apply to us. If you thought the things in the Bible apply to you, you would be very worried. So he says, when you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Amen. Amen. Okay. Wash, make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from you. And my eyes, from before, before my eyes, and cease to do evil. Learn to do well. To seek the judge, judgment. To relieve the oppressed. To judge the fatherless. And plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together. Amen? Amen. Though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Hallelujah. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the Lamb. But if you refuse, and rebel, you shall be devoured. Hallelujah. Are you there? Now, 
Verse 23. Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. This can refer to pastors. can also refer to politicians. <laughs> your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves gifts and follows after rewards. Hallelujah. Amen. They judge not the fatherless, neither the cause of the, does the cause of the widow come to them. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, therefore says the Lord of hosts, verse 24, I will ease me of my adversaries and I will avenge me of my enemies and I will turn my hand upon thee and purge away thy dross and take away all thy tin. Hallelujah. Amen. And I will restore thy judges as at the first and thy counselors as at the beginning. And you shall be called the city of righteousness, a faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with judgment and her convert with righteousness. Hallelujah. Now, and the destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners shall be together. They that forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks which you have desired. And you shall be confounded for the gardens that you have chosen. Amen. Amen. Be ashamed about what you choose. For you shall be as an oak whose leaf faileth. Mercy. And as a garden that has no water. Hallelujah. And the strong shall be as tow. And the maker of it as a spark. And they shall both bend together. And none shall quench them. Now Isaiah um, speaks about uh, many things. And when he's prophesying, um, like with prophets, people who are prophetic, when you listen to them preaching, their preaching doesn't follow order as we understand order. So, throughout Isaiah's prophecies, you don't know what sometimes he's talking about. Then he seems to talk about different things all in one chapter. And sometimes in one sermon. That's how prophets are. When people are moving in a prophetic, you can hardly tell sometimes what exactly they are talking about. But they talk about something. And what they are saying is important. Just maybe a, a fragment of it is important. And the rest is, is, is not, doesn't mean much to you. But the one little part that you uh, understand, it means a lot. For instance, in chapter 9, he starts to say that a son unto you, a son is given. 
child is born. That's what we say during carol service. You know, you look at it, turn with me. For unjust a child is born, unjust a son is given. Alright? And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful. Alright? Counselor, everlasting peace, the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Then it says, The zeal of the Lord shall perform it. Then the next verse, it says, The Lord sent a word to Jacob, and it has lighted upon him. And all the people shall know, even Ephraim and the inhabitants of Samaria. It doesn't even make sense anymore. <laughs> Do you understand? Yeah. I'm trying to explain. Most of us don't read books like Isaiah. It's too difficult. Because it doesn't continue in a logical way. So you have to understand Isaiah in the same way that Jesus understood Isaiah. Because Jesus quoted more from Isaiah than from any other book. And Paul also. And in fact, the references about Christ, a lot of them came from Isaiah. So he is the most uh, important of the Old Testament prophets. But you can never understand those messages by trying to find that he's saying number one, number two, number three, number four. There's no point in it. It's just best of revelation. And it's all, and all these chapters and verses we have, we added them when we were making the Bible. Because none of you write a letter in verses, number one, number two, number three, number four. So people have divided it for it to make sense. When do you write your letter? Do you have verses in your, in your letter? I mean, even verse two, verse 40, verse 44, verse 45, or of your long letter you are writing. Nobody writes a letter in verses. It is the editors and the creators of the Bible, as we know it, who divided it. So sometimes you see that some chapters don't end and it continues into the next chapter. Are you with me? Okay. So with that in mind, a lot of things now can apply to you. You just have to see and you know that this one is is true. You get it? Like the the one I was reading earlier, which we can go back. It says, I have nourished and brought up children. Huh? And they have rebelled against me. Wow. This one we can relate with it, isn't it? So it's for you. (laughs) Once you, you, you see that it's making sense, then it's a prophecy for you. (laughs) <laughs> that, that's the key to understand. Very shortly, the next verses will not make any sense. And so you see that suddenly the whole book can have a meaning for you. Is it fantastic? Is it amazing? Is it supernatural? And it says, the ox knows his owner. And the ass his master's crib. But Israel eh, does not know. And my people does not consider. Wow. This scripture is true about us. It's true about the church. That everybody knows his owner. 
And who is the owner of the institution? And to whom they must answer? Everybody knows it. Those who work in schools and are teaching, they don't teach the gospel when they are teaching. Because they know that it's a school owned by maybe the government. You cannot come and start teaching principles of faith or principles of patience or any of these virtues. They may be virtues. You cannot do that during a physics class. You cannot teach about love during a chemistry class. It's wrong. And you wouldn't even want your child to go to a school which is teaching about love during the chemistry class. It's wrong. Because every institution and every teacher knows the owner. And us knows the owner. Huh? Hmm. The people who are politicians, the democratically elected politicians that we have today, they know their owners. They are owned by the people. By the masses. And that is why we can sometimes watch them on television as they say incredible things. And you wonder why the person is saying what he's saying. You can't even believe it. But they know that these people are going to vote for me. So you see somebody who has a wife and children saying that two men should marry. Yeah. And who would not like his children to do that? He will say that. He thinks that they should marry. Because he knows the owner who is going to say you are, I vote for you. And they, find, they, they do statistics and they, they find out that 60-70% of Americans or whatever country are in favor of this. And so based on that, they know the, the, the owner and the one who has the power. Do you understand? Yeah. Everybody knows where the power is being wielded from in his particular area or field. So, you will see a Christian who grew up as a Christian doing alakubala with fellow other uh, members. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Because of his master. It's a response to his owner. Whom he has recognized as his owner. Yeah. Because he's going to get his vote from those people. So he knows that I am owned by this. But the church and the pastors, we don't know 
who owns us. And that is why we have yielded ourselves to become something different from what the owner of the church desires. Yeah, something very different. You get it? Where today, when you go to church, you preach, we preach uh, as though we are bank managers. Yeah. I tell you. And we, we have forsaken the real owner of, of all of us. And even asses and donkeys are doing better than we are. You know, I sat by a bank manager the other day. From, I was coming from Johannesburg. He was coming to Ghana for some meeting. And he was telling me that he didn't want to talk much. He doesn't talk much. He said, I'm, I've, I've been working in the, I don't know what he is, but he's very high. A young guy, but he's very high in the bank. And he said, he told me, he said, look, there's a pastor. He's, he's my friend from childhood. I will never go to his church. I will never go to his church. He said, all this prosperity, whatever. He said, look, I am a, I am a banker. When I go to church, I don't want to hear what I do, the, the work that I do. To come and hear lectures on finance and other things of my area of business. I want to know about, I want to know about God. He said, I will never go to his church and all these prosperity, what have you. I was surprised. I was just listening to him. Yeah. I was amazed. So, you have to ask ourselves, we have to ask ourselves, who owns us? And whose words and whose bidding are we following. Are you listening to me? Who gives us life and health and makes us to differ from another? It is only the Lord. And because we don't know who owns us, that is why we do all sorts of things. And it doesn't matter to us. One brother told me that he cannot pay tithe because he told me that I do not know how much he earns and that he does not earn in, I was in Ghana, he said he does not earn CDs. In Ghana we earn CDs. He said I don't earn CDs. I earn dollars in Ghana. I don't know how much I earn. I can never pay tithe. It's too much for the church to handle. I don't know how much I earn. Yeah, but he doesn't know his owner. He doesn't know his owner. He doesn't know the one who who, who makes him 
alive. The one he's supposed to say yes, Lord, to. And then he got sick. Actually, a number of things happened to him, but none of those things moved him. But then he got sick. When he got sick, and he realized that, they wrote, they wrote on his folder, they wrote it in red ink. So 48 hours or something, some time, some red markings. Uh, and then he changed. Then he got to know his owner, the one who is giving him time to live. Are you listening? Yeah. yeah. So church, Isaiah is a wonderful prophet. We, we must know who owns us. And we must respond to him and to what he's saying in his word. Amen. Amen. Now, verse 9. Unless they said the Lord had left to us a very small remnant. I want to say that there is just a small remnant, amen, of Christians that believe what God's word says. And if the Lord had not just left a small remnant, would have been like Sodom. What does it mean to be like Sodom? To be like Sodom means to have everything destroyed and everything turned into zero. Amen. 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 Do you want the Lord to destroy everything? So he says, Unless there had been a small remnant, if it was not for the fact that there's a small remnant, there would have been no use even of the church today. Yeah. Most of the church is not interested in the will of God. At all. At all. We are not interested in the will of God at all. You see, now, I am a pastor of the First Love Church in Accra. So, no, I'm explaining something to you. So, I have a whole lot of new members that I'm pastoring. You know, I've left the Kodesh for some others. And I have these new people that I'm pastoring, young people. Now, I have so many members New members. Now the way it is, it reminds me of when I first started uh, pastoring the church and Kaligono. Uh, when we were students, everybody was young. That's how it has become for me again. Now I see, and Bishop Eddie is also pastoring a church in a hotel somewhere. Now, you see, the way the church is, and Bishop Saki is at the Kodesh and he's also around different other things he's doing. But the way the church is, you can be so engaged with the people and with people's lives that you will never 
think of somebody else. And if there is no time, and even opportunity, and in fact, every drop of money and time that you spend to think of somebody else is a waste of time to you. That's how the church is. You see, if, when you are a pastor, everybody in the church is a complex person. Are you not complex? Huh? Are you not complex? Yeah. Everybody is complex. And every person involves complex arrangements to gradually lead you on to uh, where you are supposed to be. Yeah. The pastor can be there, he'll get a message. Pastor, I'm going to do something bad. (laughs) 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 Yes. That one alone can keep you occupied. You will not have time for anything else. Do you see? You don't have time for anything else. So pastoring a church, you know, you, you, you would think sometimes, you know, like in America, the churches are not so big. So you would think that the church doesn't take time. But maybe then you are new. You are new. That is why you have such ideas. But every if you have 20 people, you have 20 complexities sitting there. I'm telling you. And because of that, and because of the things that we need to do, you can easily Never think of souls. The reason why Jesus Christ came into the world to die on the cross. You will not even think about them. But the people who have come to give their life to Christ already are enough. Wahala. Before you go and add others. And the church itself, to let the church exist and to grow it's enough to keep you busy till you die. Are you listening to me? Yeah. So I can understand. But, I, but you see, one pastor was preaching and he said to his congregation, he said, look, when the Lord raised me up, he was explaining, he's a pastor of a very big church. He said, the Lord raised me up. I was nobody. I was in a classroom. I was beating tables. I had nothing. My corduroy trousers, my one pair of shoes, and my shirt, which I ironed until it was like a paper. (laughs) Now, the Lord has raised him up. 
and he has become the a pastor of so many people and of so many churches. So one day he was preaching to his congregation and he told them, he said, I know that 99.99% of you will never become pastors or do anything church. Listen on. Then he said, but the anointing that is on me is going to come upon you to build a big company and a big business and a big uh, business company. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because God raised him up from nothing. And he had become so great. And there must be some anointing, uh, not some, there must be an anointing on his life to do what he's doing. But as he is pastoring the people, he is recognizing what every pastor recognizes. That 99.99% of the people will never become pastors or do anything to the church for church. So he has now been forced to say to them that the anointing upon me is going to come on you to build a big family, a big business, and, and companies. Yeah. And it is also possible. It's possible because the Bible says there's an anointing for wealth. So maybe that anointing is being used to create wealth. I don't know. I mean, I can't tell, but I can understand why a pastor would say that. As he looks at the faces of uninterested people that are interested in anything. We don't even like God. It's true. We are in the church. We don't want God. You know, there is a book that I read called When God Walked the Earth by Rick Joyner. In that book, there is one statement which is the saddest statement in the whole book. It's a very sad statement. In that statement, Jesus came to Zebedee to visit Zebedee, who was the father of James and John. And when the Lord was talking to John or to Zebedee, one of them. He said to him that most people in the world don't know God, don't like God, and don't want God. They are not interested in God. And it's true. Even amongst us here, many of us are not interested in God really. It's true. But it's the truth sometimes is too much. So, we need grace. That's why Jesus came with truth and grace. Not just the truth. The truth is something too harsh. We need grace to mix with the truth. 
that life is vanity and that everything we are doing is useless. It's too hard for most of us to accept. So most of us don't even think about it. And we just have different little goals. But the truth, 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 truth is that it's useless. Mercy. Are you there? Now God is asking, to what purpose, I read it to you, is the multitude of your sacrifice. Like, the things you are doing, spiritually, what is the use of them? Like, when we have churches, when we have church, we are playing with God and all the things that we are doing. What is the use of all the things that we are doing? He says, I'm full. Because I'm full of the burnt offerings. And I don't delight in the blood of bullocks. Who has, he said, who has required this at your hand? I mean, who asked you to bring these things? Don't bring any more useless oblations. Huh? Don't bring any more useless oblations. Incense is an abomination. Incense is, we always say incense is the worship. Is it not true? <laughs> Stop all those useless songs. You don't even mean it. You stopped meaning it long ago. Stop useless, useless incense. A lot of the songs we sing, we don't mean it. <laughs> what are some of the songs that we sing? Huh? Come and sing. Give myself away. Hey. song is I give myself away. <laughs> Lord, I give you my heart. Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I'll live for you alone. Every breath. That I take every moment of Lord, have your way in me. I give you my heart, Lord. I give you my soul, and I will live for you alone. Every breath that I Every moment I'm awake Lord have your way in me This is my desire
Because that's what the Bible says. Except the Lord has left a small remnant. The whole church will be like totally useless. I mean, it's, it's when you become like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like there, it, not, nothing matters. Just wipe them out. But God is not wiping us out. Sometimes the whole group is left because of one person. That's how God is. Because he said, if you can find five righteous men, if you can find ten righteous men, I will not destroy this. But I couldn't find anybody. So when there is a small remnant, it makes God sometimes forgive and protect. That's why the Bible calls us the salt of the earth. You see, salt... You see, what does salt do? You have to travel to places where they cook without salt to understand the importance of salt. You see, one day I went to a certain country, and in that country there are a lot of Indians. So I went to the Indian part of the country. When I got there, I said, Oh, I like curry. Curry, I like. Give me curry. I saw the Madras curry, Vindaloo curry, the different types. I know all of them. I know, I know Indian food. So I said, give me this and that. And they brought the food. But the only problem, you see, was that the whole food was without salt. Especially the rice. Now, you see, salt makes something uh, palatable or acceptable. (laughs) Acceptable. Because otherwise you put it in your mouth and say, hmm. So, the presence of Christians, the prayers of Christians, makes the world even tolerable for God to not just wipe out the whole world, which is full of wickedness. There is so much wickedness in the world. Yeah. Are you with me? So our presence is very important. Our presence. It's not like just one drop of salt. Very small, but in a lot of rice. It's one drop of salt. It's enough for the thing to be tolerable. So I will eat you. I will eat you. It's acceptable. Otherwise, it's like rubbish. Are you listening to me? Yeah. So, he says that your, your hands are full of blood. And I tell you today that the church's hands are is full of blood. You see, now I am an evangelist also. And being an evangelist has made me travel to many places in the, in the world, especially in Africa, and mostly in West Africa. As I have gone, the first time I went to Senegal, well, the only time, as I drove through, I said, shame, shame, shame. Hey, a place abandoned by Christians. 
abandoned and forsaken by Christians. We have forsaken Senegal, Gambia, Guinea-Bissau. Oh, you will feel you will bow your head like this. No, entire countries have been left. There's no Christian. You will not see any church. You will drive and there's no church. All the Christians have pulled out. And the Christians have gone to America and anywhere else where there is money. And when they get to America and they say, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I'll live for you alone. And when they say, alone. If you like, watch some of the videos. When people are worshipping. Hey. Alone. Give you my heart. And then with, you know? Oh, yeah. It's true. I'm telling you. You'll be sad. You will feel like a worm. When I went to Senegal, the people there, the pastors were afraid to lift up their head. And when I preached, uh, and it, it forced me to preach messages that me myself helped me to understand my salvation. Yeah. I preached in the Dakar and I preached in Ziginshaw. And I had, I had to preach who was Jesus Christ. I had to preach why people believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And there's a mosque here. There's a mosque here. There's a mosque. Everywhere I'm surrounded. 200% mosque. Everybody sitting there is wearing an Islamic cap. Everybody. Yeah. They only come because of miracles. Yeah. That's where you will see the importance of miracles. Yeah. You may, you may laugh at somebody when he's doing miracles. And he's taking a testimony. And somebody says, my head was painting, he's gone. But he says, you can see that it's not a miracle. But I'll dare you to stand in Dakar. In Dakar. And preach. See if you can preach. They remove all our television adverts from. They call them immediately. Stop it. Take it off. They took it. Remove all the banners. It's not allowed. Everybody is a Muslim. Yeah. They don't want it. I'm telling you. So, honestly, it is a shame. It's a shame on Christianity. All of us. And many of you are from there. Many of you are from West Africa. We have, we have followed money rather than God. And we have followed wealth. For which God also says, Okay. When you pray, I won't mind you. And God doesn't mind a lot of prayers. They are praying. I will not hear you. Because you are guilty. When it says your hands are full of blood, it doesn't mean you have made 
goat soup with blood and you put your hand in and you are holding the blood. That is not what it means. It's, it's symbolic. Kali means that you are responsible for the lives or the blood that have been shed of people who have lost their lives. That's what it means. It doesn't have any other meaning. It doesn't mean it's goat soup of blood. Do you know goat soup that they make with blood? What is it called? There is a type of blood soup or stew that is made with blood. Do you know that, Andy? Yeah. I've seen, I've seen them making it before. They use blood. They cook the blood. Do you have that in Gambia too? Blood stew. Yeah, blood stew. It smells very nice. <laughs> Wow. But you see, God is now continuing to say in verse 16, Wash you! Make you clean! Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. You know, people who come always with frightening dreams. I saw that you were dead. I saw that you were in a coffin. I saw that this has happened to you. I saw that this. Let me tell you. Why would God be telling you these dreams if you were supposed to die? He's giving you these dreams to pray about it. So you who have seen this dream, pray. That's it. Don't come and be frightening everybody because everybody gets frightened. No matter who it is who says the dream. Even your watchman, if he tells you that he's had a dream, that his master is dead. Hey, we are afraid if you are the master. <laughs> you understand? No matter who it is, don't be afraid. And once it's a dream, you'll be scared. So I had a dream that you were dead. Hey! Hey! Could it be that you are somebody whose dreams happen? If you've been having all these dreams, pray about it. Amen. So God is not just frightening us out of our skins or rebuking us to go to hell. But He's telling us all these things to tell us to wash ourselves and make ourselves clean and put away the evil of our doings. Verse 17, and he says, learn to do well. Learn to do well. We can do better. Amen. We can seek judgment. Hallelujah. We can relieve the oppressed. People that are oppressed with demons. And we can judge the fatherless. There are many fatherless people who need pastors. And we can plead for the widow. Hallelujah. Are you listening to me? Come now. Now God is saying, I want to negotiate with you. Somebody like you. Why would God be negotiating with you? Huh? Have you thought about it? Why would God negotiate with you? I don't know why. 
I don't know why. How many feel righteous? How many feel that you are bad? Raise your hand if you feel that you are bad. I will, I will open my eyes. Yeah. So, I do not understand why God would want to discuss or even reason with us. But that's God. He's, he's beyond our understanding. Because the God who is saying, come let us reason together, is the same God who has in the last few verses been telling us how evil we are. That he doesn't even like our praises, our prayers and our worship. He doesn't like it. Now he said, okay, watch yourself. Come and let's discuss and even let's negotiate. Let's negotiate with God. Hallelujah. And God is going to give you an offer. And he's saying, come, let us reason together. Though your sin be as scarlet, they can be white as snow. And though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Now, listen to the conditions. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. Now, many people are in America and are not eating the good of the land. There is good in America. But many of us are not eating the good that is in America. We came all right. We came. Yeah. We came by land, by road, by sea. You got here. But are you eating the good of the land? Yeah. Are you eating the good? Are you having the good part of the land? Are you enjoying the good of the land? You see, and he's showing you how to enjoy the good of the land. Because in every country, there is good. If you don't know, I'm telling you. In every country that is good. On Sunday, I went to one of our branches to preach. And I just raised funds for Healing Jesus Crusade. I had more than $50,000. Just Sunday, preaching one service. I just preach a branch, not the Kodesh. In Kakra. I just preach one, just 40 minutes. I didn't preach about money. I preached about something else. And I said, I, mean, I didn't show them any video because the church was too bright to show a video. Do you understand? I had no way of closing the windows or the doors. And I just took an offering. Yeah, at more than fifty thousand dollars. Dollars, not CDs. Yeah. So yeah. US dollars. So 
I'm telling you that there is good in every country. If you think there is, there's good everywhere. There's evil everywhere. There are people who go to different countries, keep on moving from country to country. And each country you go, you eat the bad of that country. You keep getting the bad end of the stick. Yeah. You will eat the bad. And he's giving two reasons. Number one, he said, if you'll be willing and obedient. Obedience to the Lord is, you know, central to everything that you want to experience from God. It's obedience to the will of God. It's not about where you are. Every land has good. So, those who are fixated, I must go to America. I must go to England. You are fixated on the wrong ideal. In fact, when I was once in England for a year, I encountered great poverty and hunger. And I realized then, at that time I was in, I was in London, that if you will be poor, it will be better not to be poor there. <laughs> you know, it's like prison. If you are going to go to prison, you must choose the right country to go to prison. There are some places, honestly, a prison is not a good idea at all. There are some places, the prison, they watch television, they send emails, they go to the gym, they do degrees, they go, they have courses, they have different things. Medical checkup, they have surgery, they are diagnosed of diseases that even they are, they would never have been treated. Yeah. They have, they have a right to what? Yeah, transplant, surgery. And they have a right to um, in vitro fertilization. Yeah. I was reading the newspaper today that some prisoners are going to court because they are trying to block their right to have IVF in vitro fertilization. They want to have children through IVF. And they are blocking, they are fighting it. Yeah, right. Something that people who are outside free cannot afford. So the point that I'm making is that every they have conjugal rights as well. Really? It's, it's not bad at all. <laughs> so, if you are willing and obedient, you enjoy the good of the land. Now, Kenneth Hagin loves to preach about this particular verse. And he said one time he was in his uh, ministry and he was not doing well. 
And he complained to the Lord and he said, Lord, but I'm obedient. I'm doing what you said I should do. And the Lord said, yes, you are doing what I said, but you are not willing. You are not flowing. Yes, you are obedient, but you are not willing. You are not happy and flowing to do what you are doing. And that is why you are not being blessed in what you are doing. It's like you are doing it grudgingly and unwillingly. Like you are doing it. It's like, me not caring, care. What did they say I should say? What did they say I should say? Have I told you that story before? I'll tell you again. There was a certain man who had a certain wife. And the wife was, and the wife and husband were having a big quarrel. So the family members came around and they discussed with them. And in the end, they decided that the wife was at fault. And they were sitting in a big circle. So then they said to the wife that she should. Why, are you the wife? Are you the. Are you happy to be there? Okay. Okay. So then they decided that the wife should apologize and that she should go around and apologize to everybody and to apologize to her husband. So she went around like this. She shook hands. She shook hands. She shook hands. And when she got to the husband, she shook hands like that. She turned to the people and said, which means, what did they say I should say? What did they say I should say? Now, it was the husband who was telling me this story. The husband was telling me this story. And he told me that when somebody tells you something like that, you are coming to apologize and you tell him, what, what did they say I should say? It means it's not a real apology from your heart. You are just obedient, but you are not willing. Yeah. You are obedient, but you are not willing. And he threw that wife out of the house. Yeah. He threw the wife out. And, and got himself another one. Yeah. A willing wife. Now some of you wives, you deserve to be thrown out. It's true. Long time ago you deserve to be thrown out. Now, when I'm preaching, don't speak back. When I'm preaching, don't speak from your corner. Because I'm a, I'm a pastor, and I'm a bishop, and I can mention so many things that I am. So when I'm preaching, don't speak back from there. And it, if it affects, and what I'm saying, I have no apologies. I speak about women or whatever at all. So have, I've, been, I've been in the ministry for some time. Yeah. You know what I'm saying. So don't speak from that corner. I hear, I hear them. Hey! 
some of you deserve to be thrown out long time ago. But the thing is that you've married a Joseph. The Joseph never says what the problem is, especially in public. That's a Joseph husband. He will never, he will never expose you. And you are just lucky that you have married a Joseph. You should thank God. But there are some unfortunate sisters who marry non-Joseph husbands. Yeah, they marry non-Josephs. God bless you for listening to this message. Visit www.daghewardmills.org today for more audio and video messages, information on upcoming events, and so much more. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast to receive new messages every single day. And remember, God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind.